0: Welcome to Libya Matters. Minister of Justice, he was in Benghazi. He went to the police. Uh, he didn't saw the the gardener.
1: He was alive then?
0: He was alive.
2: It's been seven years since the assassination of human rights lawyer and activist Salwa Bogagis, a prominent figure in the Libyan uprising of 2011. I'm Ilham Saoudi, co-host of Libya Matters. Over the last four episodes, we heard what happened on Salwa Bogaagis' last day from those closest to her, how she got assassinated, and the effect of that event on freedom of expression, women, and civil society in Libya. In this last episode, our producer, Tariq Al-Miri, continues the conversation to go deeper into Salwa's family's pursuit of justice and why an independent investigation is very important to her sister Iman. We will also hear from activists and journalists who will bring us closer to understanding what it's like to work in these fields in Libya today and what that means for Salwa's legacy.
0: After that, you know, the, the gardener, because he, he was injured in his uh, leg, we don't know if he was involved. I, nobody, you know, there was no investigations. But he was at the hospital and then the police came and took him from the hospital with his wound and they took him there and then they killed him.
1: So the police?
0: Yes, 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 yes. Oh, wow. They killed him.
1: Because he had information. Yeah,
0: I'm sure he had information. And then the prosecutor was killed also, was kidnapped and killed. No investigation whatsoever.
1: Okay. How long after? As soon as he got the case, many weeks? No,
0: no, after after uh, some time. Some time, okay. And then, of, of course, Aysan disappeared. And then, after two weeks or something, three weeks, they came back and burned her house. They burned all the memories that the children, that the kids have.
1: It's, it's, I mean... I just can't even imagine half the pain of of this. Yes. All this time... I mean, obviously, there's no investigation, as you say, which is very problematic and very difficult. It
0: It was very, very naive, or I don't know that the Minister of Justice, he was in Benghazi.
3: The Minister of Justice was on a visit to Benghazi from Tripoli.
0: He went to the police And he didn't say, uh, he didn't saw the the gardener. And then he he messaged me after that for one year or something, just to say that he has nothing to do. He said, no, 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 I have nothing to do. I just went for social uh, event and uh, I went there, but I didn't just, people pushed me. So I went to the police and even I didn't see him. So I told him that you should have taken the gardener with you on the same flight, the same plane.
1: He was alive then.
0: He was alive, but he, he said that even I didn't see him. Uh, you know how uh, how come you are the minister? You knew what's going on in Benghazi. You knew that this was a key for many many things. What's what was going on? The assassinations. Basma, fish, no responsibility, sense of responsibility. Malasif.
3: Lawyers for Justice got in touch with the then-Minister of Justice, Salah al-Marghni, for an interview, and received the following response. I was the caretaker Justice Minister at the time, while expressing my deep-lasting sadness and outrage about the coward act of the brutal murder of such a human rights icon and the kidnapping of her husband, Laisam, both were friends of mine, and pray that I will see justice done for Selwa and the many other victims, I regrettably decline participation in your program, considering my position at the time and the legal requirements associated with open or pending judicial investigations, both locally or internationally. The assassinations campaign in Benghazi has never been investigated thoroughly or independently. Something that Imam believes is necessary to understand what happened during that period.
0: Um and it was systematic. You know, some days it was six, five uh, assassinations every day. So this was the atmosphere in Benghazi. Where the day when Salwa was assassinated, nine. Oh wow. Yes, yes.
3: To be honest, we're not 100% sure whether it's six or nine assassination cases on that same day.
0: And it was professional.
1: I had no idea that this, this is actually true. I know in Benghazi for a long time, like that period uh, leading up to uh, her assassination, it's all you hear. You know, people from uh, leaving uh, the mosque, people leaving their house, people at work. It sounded very random but from what you're saying it is like big numbers every day. It was
0: systematic, it was professional. It couldn't be done with from uh, just one person or a group. Okay, because they were uh, uh, monitoring everyone, knowing at what time he goes out, he goes in uh, and then the way they were assassinated. The, the assassins were very confident. Many times they go just out of the car and then they kill and then go slowly to the car and then leave. So uh, they were uh, um, depending on the shock on the people, you know, because they were they were, they seemed normal. So they were professionals, and it was systematic.
3: Selwa's family still struggles to seek justice. It is not known to me, nor to the Lawyers for Justice team, why, why there isn't a complete independent investigation and what is the real obstacle. Regardless, the family is still very determined to push for an investigation.
0: So we insisted from the beginning that we will not, as a family, we will not accuse anybody. We want investigations, independent, and we have a lot of points that they can start from. Selwa, Selwa was a role model, and we want also her legacy to be a role model in everything. Whatever it took and how long it took, it doesn't matter, but we will not be dragged. And we were dragged many times, you know. Always, we we refuse to to say anything. That always uh, this is our stand.
1: For you, that's justice. Like the investigation is. That's
0: justice, of course. It's it's in principle. She was uh, a lawyer and a human rights lawyer. Uh, the other thing that. Um, Justice for Salwa is justice for, for many, many others because when we know who killed Selwa, we'll know a lot of things.
1: It's connected in your mind?
0: Of course, of course. The assassinations. All the assassinations. Who was doing that? Who was preparing the, the city for a civil war? Why Selwa? Okay, A woman?
3: It's a valid question. Why? Why aren't there investigations taking place for Selwa and everyone else that got assassinated?
0: I know that without having a state, it's very, very hard to, to do anything, you know. Uh, but um, I'm focusing. I don't feel guilty about that because it's it's not only her. It's it's Libya. But I will not uh, give up. It's it's my responsibility. Her children are there, but they had big trauma also.
3: Iman feels it's her duty as an older sister and the aunt of Selwa's children to seek justice for Selwa. She believes that losing their parents is enough trauma as it is. One of the challenges for Iman is that she cannot go back to Benghazi. The landscape changed dramatically since 2014. Working in the rights and in the media field became not only tricky, but very dangerous. To make sense of these changes, I talked to people who are still working in the field. Ragda Brahim, a TV anchor covering the news and sensitive issues, had this to say about the aftermath of Selwa's assassination.
4: Uh, I don't want to sound like you know, you know, like women and men are the same. Like it's it's media and its work, okay. But you know, in our societies, to attack women, it's it's a it's a big deal. And to come this far, assassination, it's terrifying. Um the day that 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 this happened um it can happen to any woman in, in libya and it happened and it did happen to a lot of women in libya
3: Ghazil Giblawi, a writer and a publisher who's super connected to the writing and publishing scene in the region sees this moment in a very particular way
5: it's a different moment definitely different moment in a way it's, uh, it got worse in other, in certain areas uh in libya i think uh, Journalists and writers still face uh, a lot of uh, danger. Um, in, in certain areas of Libya, it, it, it is really, really bad. As worse as even, it was even before Gaddafi and during Gaddafi, uh, in Syriza and eastern Libya, or in certain areas, even in the western side of Libya, journalists have been detained and even sentenced uh, to uh, under. Um, military court, you know, uh, sentenced for 15 years or uh, some of them been assassinated on the streets. You know, these these are even uh, some people wouldn't even uh, um, uh, describe them as journalists, professional, because they just were commentators on Facebook. Uh, They said something that is offending to the military establishment, wherever it is, and uh, you you get uh, killed in the street in broad daylight. That's why a lot of writers now, either they self-censor more than before, or write about topics that are in general, they won't specifically talk about the situation in the country, or specific entities or specific people. Some of the writers they don't have any other choice but to write from outside so outside the country so they 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 go into exile and, and they have the freedom to express from there. As a publishers, you know publishers also uh, tend to accommodate situations. So if the situation is like that we'll just publish books that are neutral. They're not talking about the situation politically or otherwise. Uh, or you start publishing from outside the country you know, and with the risk of hopefully your assets won't be attacked inside the country and uh, go beyond the uh, boundaries or borders of the country uh, or the authorities. Detention can happen at any moment you know, uh, if you are under the radar of some uh, some militia or some person or you've been mentioned by a certain religious be or something like that, uh, you can easily get, get detained and arbitrary arrest, arrested and incarcerated uh, indefinitely and people won't see uh, what exactly happened and then get released without knowing exactly what are the charges. Enforcement of laws, if they are against the arbitrary detention or incarceration of journalists, are not working. Your rights, if you have rights, uh, are not recognized. People who work in uh, law enforcement don't uh, recognize these rights, don't know these rights. They are not trained to know these rights, and also I think uh, some of the writers they also themselves don't know these things. You know, they are not uh, trained to know what exactly how they can defend themselves in, this, in these situations.
2: If you're listening to this episode and wondering how you can support human rights defenders and those seeking to exercise their freedom of expression, assembly and association peacefully, then you can do that by supporting the Ali Nuh Fund. This is a fund created by LFJL to provide emergency assistance to human rights defenders who are at risk due to their work. Every penny you donate will go to them. We believe that one of the best ways to secure Libya's future is by protecting its human rights defenders. Join us in doing so by giving what you can to the Ali Nuh Fund. To find out more, click on the link in the episode description or visit fund.ly That is A-L-I-N-O-U-H fund.ly. Thank you. And now, back to the episode.
3: Tawfiq bin Saud was a prominent young activist who was assassinated at the age of 18 in the same year Saul Bugaygis was killed. His close friend, Libya Al Masmari, is a media producer and an activist who remembers going out to the streets with Tawfiq, campaigning to get people out to vote.
6: Tawfiq died before he was able. To vote. The first time there was elections in in uh, the Libyan modern history, I remember myself and Tawfid worked together on awareness campaign. We would go to um, university and we'd be at the streets, um, spreading awareness of how to how to vote and how to register and. Uh, all of us were were young, so people wouldn't really notice that Tofiq is actually underage and he can't vote. <laughs> but every day we would be laughing at that, and uh, he would be telling us how excited is he um, to 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 turn 18 to be able to to practice uh, his. Uh, his right and duty as an active citizen. He wanted. He, he, he never saw himself anywhere but uh, making the change in, in, in Libya history through participating in political life.
3: I asked Libya, how did life change for her and her colleagues after losing Tawfiq?
6: I am grateful it didn't break us. But at the same time, um i know we're not fully recovered uh, it would haunt us every now and then we we didn't even have the luxury to process it cuz events kept on happening when you don't deal with your pain with the loss when you don't get justice no kind of investigation have to have uh, taken place all of these are just burdens. So I I would, I would say that uh, I would love for the anniversary of his assassination to just go as fast as possible. For me, not to be able to deal with more pain. For me, not to have to process that he's gone and we haven't had any sort of justice. And we haven't been able to achieve what he fought for, what he lost his life to.
3: Tawfiq's loss hit heavy on a big circle of activists in Libya. His close friends and colleagues created many campaigns and worked on many efforts to keep his memory alive.
6: But I would also be grateful for those who would still remember him and keep his memory and tell his story. But also, it would remind me that, imagine, Tariq, imagine if this story had more time, if Tawfiq had more time, what kind of change he would have made.
3: Despite all of the pain, the loss, the chaos, and instability, many of the people we talked with shared their absolute dedication to continue doing their work, their struggle, to keep up the legacy of those who sacrificed everything before them. Because of that, I see hope.
5: There is, uh, I would say, more, at least from from the point of view of uh, of, uh, trained professionals in the country, there are much more uh talents than before and people more capacity than before and that's something positive to talk about there's much better uh, facilities to communicate and much better options for for journalists and writers to write and to, to speak out and talk uh, but it is very risky it is very risky and very dangerous it's not um for the faint-hearted
4: You keep hoping, because it's your country, It's like you keep hoping that things are going to get better because we have to all work to make it better. If I stopped, if you stopped, a lot of people stopped because maybe they, they got attacked, they got kidnapped or everything, but we're still alive. We, we still can do lot to this country. So as long as we can do it, we'll, we'll do it. If we stop, like it's, everything's gonna stop. I want to carry Muhammad Naboo's vision. I want to carry Salwa's vision. And you keep remembering those names and those people who died for us. And again, if that doesn't take us to where we need to be, what else? Um, what will do? Um, so it's 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 very very important that we remember that you know people are you know received Christ and people um, uh, did whatever they needed to do because they believed in it.
2: Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the next season of Libya Matters later this year. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying this special season of Libya Matters and are as inspired by Libya's resilient civil society as we are, then please support the Ali Nuh Fund, an emergency assistance fund set up by LFJL to support human rights defenders under attack for their work. To find out more, click on the link in the episode description. And whilst you are there, please leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. This will help us get discovered and to keep growing. To let us know what you think or to suggest any guests or topics for future seasons, please contact us on our Facebook page at Libya Matters or tweet us at Libya Matters Podcast. Libya Matters is hosted by Marwa Mohammed and me, Ilham Saoudi. It is produced by Tariq Al Miri. The people who put this season of Libya Matters together are Marwa Mohammed, Tim Molyunu, May Thompson, and me, Ilham Saoudi. This episode of Libya Matters is made possible by our partnership with the German Federal Foreign Office and additional support from International Media Support, IMS, and Dignity, the Danish Institute Against Torture.
0: Hi, I'm Christina Orsini, and I do research around issues of accountability in Libya. All of us
6: at
4: LFJL are sincerely grateful to Sawa's family and friends, and all of our partners and friends in Libyan civil society, who gave us their time and trust
0: to tell this important story. This series is only possible because of you,
5: and it is a tribute to you. On behalf of the whole team, thank you. Shokaran.